everybody. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I pulled some songs out of the old vault today, so we're going to go way back with some of these songs. If you'd like to join me by standing, that would be amazing. And let's sing some praises to the Lord. Your love 
Father God, we love you so much, and we're so grateful that you are with us right now. We're grateful that we get to gather together as your family, even as we're scattered throughout the county, throughout the country. God, we lift up those who are uh, still picking up the pieces from the hurricanes and from the fires. We pray for those who are on the front lines today trying to hold our country together, both in, in politics, in, in policing, as well as in medicine. And I pray, Father, for those who continue to put themselves in harm's way for others. We give you today. We pray that you would speak through Jeff. We pray for the message. We pray for our own hearts, God. We come before you expectantly. Anticipate. We're not sure what you have in store for us today, but we're just excited to get to be with you and to be with one another. Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, if you're at home, I want to welcome you. So glad that you are joining us today. Um, we are wrapping up a journey that we started all the way back in September of last year as we began this journey through the book of Acts. Really, really excited for that because as Jeff and I have both found, this, this documentation of the spread of the early church is so utterly relevant for us. And I'm excited for what Jeff has to bring for us today. But before we get there, I just want to talk for a moment about where we're at as a church because I know there's a lot of, of us who are going, hey, when can we start gathering together again? When can we kind of get back to a little bit of normalcy? And know that both Jeff and I and the Elder Board, we are, are longing for that as well. And it seems as if it's getting closer. Because I know that last Friday, uh, so about a week and a couple of days ago, uh, we actually, as Costa Mesa dropped off of, or Orange County dropped off the watch list. And so we're praying that that continues because if that's the case, over the next couple of weeks, we would anticipate there would be a break and that we would be able to begin gathering back in here. But again, we are in a holding pattern waiting to hear um, what that will look like. And we are praying 
that there will be a lot of opportunity for us to start doing it. But let me again speak to something that has become very, very clear through this season. And that is the fact that when we talk about church, we're never talking about the building. And that has become so utterly clear through this season. When we talk about the church, we are the church. And it doesn't matter where we gather, so long as we have Jesus in our heart, wherever we go, that's where the church is. And that is not to say that we don't value the gathering. We long for it. But it's looked different in this season than it has in other times. And so right now, one of the very best things that I hope we will lean into in the coming months, regardless of when we can start gathering back in this room on a Sunday morning, the one thing I hope that you will lean into is getting into a life group. Because that is, quite honestly, probably the best reflection of what the early church looked like for the vast majority of believers. There wasn't some large gathering There was a small, intimate house church that would sit around a table, break bread together, have conversations about what it meant to follow Jesus in a a world that seemed completely at odds. Every once in a while, they might get a letter. And the fun thing is we are actually going to begin reading a letter next week, the letter that Paul writes to the Philippian church. We're going to begin studying that over the course of the next couple of months. I'm really looking forward to it because if there was one book that I have been devotionally studying over the last year, it's been Philippians. It is so radically relevant to where we're at right now. And I'm really excited for us as a church to get to begin exploring it. But the best way that you can get the most out of that isn't just to tune in on a Sunday morning. It would be to get into a life group. And in order to do that, all you need to do is let us know that you want to get plugged in. Send an email to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and Pastor Jeff and I will make sure that we get you plugged in so that you can begin this journey. And that's also one of the ways that a lot of people have been experiencing Sunday mornings is they've been gathering together as a life group and watching. Or, or, Or some people have even been inviting their neighbors to come over. This is an opportunity for us to be the church because do you remember all the way back in January? when we talked about how God has given each of us a unique sphere of influence, that we are called to be light in the darkness. And rather than trying to get as much of the light into this building as if this was the only beacon of hope in our city, that we got to go and be light in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools. Well, there has never been a more important time for us to be the light in our unique spheres of influence than right now. And so I just want to encourage you don't stop being light don't stop looking for opportunities to reflect the hope that you have found into your sphere of influence because right now people are hurting and you don't need to pull them here into this building in order to be a light in their life and to to introduce them to the hope that you found you can do so simply through your relationship simply through inviting them to journey with you So I'm going to invite Pastor Jeff up. He's going to come and teach us our last message in the book of Acts. And we'll talk to you soon. Dramatic entry. (laughs) Somebody asked me why I still have a pulpit. And I said, I'm old. I'm used to seeing a pulpit up here. But uh, I don't fall over. And I just wouldn't know where to put my notes. The circular table just doesn't feel as pulpity to me. And so it just feels like without the pulpit, it's just not right. How are you guys doing? Good? Are you excited? I'm excited. God is doing some wonderful things. And like Pastor Eric said, we're closer today than we have been in the last four months. So in a world where everything looks so confusing, it doesn't look so confusing right now. It really looks like we're really close. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen what God has been doing, then come on in. This week I had like four or five people come into the office and we hung out and we took some time to talk about the different things that people are going through. And I can only tell you this. You know, the church probably had about 170, 180 adults when we started the March 15th, March 30th, somewhere in that zone. And yet this message is going out to about 250 to 350 on the low side, and sometimes as many as 400, 500 people on the high side. So no matter what's happening, no matter how you're kind of taking it in, if if we learned anything from Paul, if we continue to learn anything from Paul, just roll with it. Go with it. Whatever's kind of happening, whatever the situation is, be an opportunistic person and believe that somehow, some way, whether you see it, whether you understand it or not, that God is in fact always working behind the scene. And I'm absolutely assured, I can assure you this morning, that's what I'm convinced of, is God has absolutely been working in this place. And it's great to have the tech and all the different things that have gone on besides all that, because 
trying to do that with you guys here every week would have been impossible. So we kind of feel like we're, we're more ready now than we've ever been in the past. So please, thank you for joining. Thank you for letting me go these last three weeks. It's been a lot of fun. I'm a little bit tired, uh, but still have some energy left for you today. So we're going to be finishing up Acts 28. I'm not going to be doing a historical rip through three or four books today, just one book. So we're going to take some time to really dive into that. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts 28, we're going to start with the first six verses. And let me just pray and invite God's spirit to be in here this morning. And thank you, Robin, and the worship team for such wonderful worship already this morning. Father God, I thank you for what is just another wonderful day. I mean, if, if there's anything that I'm absolutely taking in from Paul each and every week is, is just the idea that every day is a gift. And every day is an opportunity to see you work anew. And although he had all kinds of obstacles and all kinds of issues thrown at him each and every day, um, this verbiage that we're going to hear today, unusual kindness, unusual favor, continued to fall on him. And I can't help but think that's what you're doing right now, Father, as it seems like in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, in the midst of all the adversity, it still feels unusually kind. It still feels like you're actually taking the message and taking it to places that we wouldn't even imagine. I mean, to Texas and to, to Idaho and to just East Coast, Arizona, all the different places it's going out this morning. And it just, it continues to go throughout the week. I'm so grateful for some of the feedback that I get from people listening to the message one time in the week, two times in the week, sharing it with a friend. Father, may everything that we continue to say and pour our hearts into bring honor and glory to and through your amazing son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. So as we concluded last week, uh, chapter 27 concludes with this dramatic kind of shipwrecking. And everything that Paul had warned them about was coming to, to, coming to pass. And they're coming into this harbor. Um, the harbor's nameless at the time, but it's a, it looks like a bay. Uh, unfortunately, the bay is pretty rocky on all sides. I actually found a picture of what the, the bay that they, they believe they came into, and I'm not going to run over to the screen and go look at it. So uh, um, this is actually what they believe is the bay that he actually came into. And I know a lot of you are looking at it right now going, I want to crash there this weekend. So um, you can. Um, this is the Isle of Malta, and it is considered to be an absolute destination place, needless to say. And as you can see, though, the rocky sides of that make it not conducive for running a ship aground in a storm, especially the jettison point that goes directly out through the middle. Um, right below the bottom of that, there is a beach, and in that picture, it's loaded with a bunch of canopies, hammocks, and tents from people who now get to visit that island and spend time on it. But it also has, if you get a chance to go there, this is now called St. Paul's Bay, right? So everything that happened there has created this legacy around this little bay. And it actually has the largest inhabitation of the island as well. So there's a large quantity of people, about 25,000 people that now live in this bay. And the reason I wanted to just show that to you was because you can see the harbor mouth, the two sides, the harbor from the left, the harbor to the right, the convergence point. It was probably pretty easy for those guys to go find those anchors because of the way the bay is situated. It, it lines up exactly how scripture pointed it. So for all you visual learners, there's my one visual picture for you this week. And uh, you can kill that thing because I know the rest of us are going to be like, I want to go to Malta. Kind of expensive, but if you can go, please do take some pictures for me. So one of the things I just love about Paul is they end up crashing inside of that inside bay and then they end up floating up into the shore. Some are swimming in, some are floating in. But as we pick up in 28, the one thing that's happening is all 276 people have come up on the shore. They're wet, unlike that picture. They're cold. It's the middle of winter, probably November, December, somewhere in that time. So they have nothing, no, nothing to kind of look forward to except for one thing. They're going to find out that the, the natives, the, the barbarians, the islanders are going to be unusually kind to them. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, we're going to turn to that and we'll start reading. I'll start reading these first three. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. And the islanders, some of your Bibles may say barbarians, which is basically just speakeasy for Greek for anyone who doesn't speak Greek. If you don't speak Greek, you're a barbarian, okay? So the islanders showed us what? Unusual kindness. Listen for that. I just love that. It's going to be all over this message. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was rainy and cold. Remember, it's the shipwreck, 14 days, no sun, no stars. So what does Paul do? Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the, on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened himself to his hand. I'm telling you, Paul, if Paul can get a break, if anyone can get a break, it's good old Paul, right? 
They land on the island. That's what the angel had promised them. Everybody lands safely. They're being shown unusual kindness. Everything is good except for one thing. Paul has this snake landing on his hand. I can't help but Paul's thinking about, you know, I had unusual kindness shown to me when I met with Felix. You know, when this all started, Felix showed me unusual kindness. And then Festive, I was in jail for two years, and then Festive, he actually showed me unusual kindness. Even King, the King, King Agrippa, showed me unusual kindness. I thought to myself, Lord, now I'm going to be put on a boat with this Roman centurion, Julius. And what does Julius shows him? Unusual kindness. And he gets to the island, and here's the islanders. They're coming down, and they're getting ready to greet him, and they're building him a fire. They're not attacking them. They're not treating them like they're marauders trying to invade their island. They realize it's a shipwreck, and they're coming down to a system. So what does Paul do? He goes straight into the mode of gathering wood like everyone else. Right? Paul's not like sitting by the fire asking for a schmore saying, hey, someone bring me some dry clothes. You know, I've had enough of this shipwrecking and all this stuff. It's like, no, just right back at it again. This is what we do. This is how I do it. And I'm going to continue to do that. And I tell you what, I don't know about you, but if a viper bit me after all the stuff he's been through, I mean, my first response would probably be to yell, scream, and maybe roll on the ground because that just seems like the appropriate response. I know people, maybe even in here, that if they just see a snake, right? You're going to yell and scream and roll around in the ground. So to have one actually fasten itself on your hand after everything they've been through, and yet what does Paul do? He's like, shake it off and move on down the road. I started thinking in my mind of all the stuff that Paul has gone through just from Acts 24 through 28, and I started thinking, I wonder if all this stuff is going to be like replaying in his mind over and over as he, you know, continues his life on. And then I was reading uh, 1 Timothy Listen to what he wrote Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if you have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Doesn't that sound like he's reliving this moment? You know, if you have food and clothing, he's probably meant fire and clothing, you know, and that's it. We, we had nothing. We don't need anything. If the Lord is with us, we'll be content. And I can't help but think that Paul's attitude is so awesome. Just whatever happens, whatever happens, however it happens, he's trusting that God is working in it. And so since Malta actually means something, um, it was Melita, so it was as a Roman colony, it was Melita. But in Greek, the word Malta actually talks about sweet or honey, okay? And it's because there's a specific bee that lives on the island that makes a very unique honey. So in light of Malta being sweet and honey, a sweet refuge for sure, uh, I got a bunch of things you, you should be prepared for today. The four bees, okay? This is, I didn't have a bee or a sound, so I made you a sound effect. All right, this is the first bee. Be ready in all seasons, okay? Does that sound familiar? Because that's 2 Timothy 4 too. Everything that Paul is going to go through, everything that Paul is going to experience, he's going to sit down and write. Eventually, I'm going to explain why. Coming up in the message, we'll get to actually that. But Paul wants us to realize something. When he's encouraging Timothy, Timothy's a young pastor getting ready to take care of a church. Be ready in all seasons is literally what Paul is saying. It's not going to be about how you feel. It's not going to be about what you know. It's not going to be about the situation or the circumstances that you're in. You need to be ready in all seasons to do what? Share your faith. Share and show your faith. So for Paul, in this situation, when the islanders are gathering wood and working, that's part of his faith, is that he's there to serve people, right? That's a component of what he's saying and what he's doing. So he's there to serve people. And so he goes right into it, and he starts serving other people. And I think that's so important for leadership today. You know, what you say and what you do are going to be watched. And Paul is being watched by these islanders. And one of the first things they notice is that this gentleman is involved. And he's going to become a key component in the next part of this passage. So let's keep reading, picking up 4, 5, and 6. When the islanders, barbarians, right, they saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the scene, that justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul, he shook the snake off into the fire, and he suffered no ill effects. Verse 6, the people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusually happen to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. Now, I don't know about you, but if you live on an island, the one thing you're going to figure out pretty quick are what the good snakes are and what the bad snakes are, right? Like if we live here, I know what a diamondback rattler is. I know the kind of snake that if I see it bite somebody... I'm going to be, it's a problem. If it's a garden snake, I'm not going to be like screaming. They knew that the snake that bit him was going to be a problem. The problem is today when I try to look up the type of different snakes that are on the island, there's four vipers listed today. None of those vipers are poisonous anymore. Interesting conundrum for Pastor Jeff who likes the historical side of all this. So I started to do a little research in it. And what I found out is 
Scientifically speaking, they believe 2,000 years ago there might have been a fifth viper. And this particular viper was killing people. And so rather than let it continue to do that, they simply killed off the one that was killing people and left the other vipers, which helped kind of maintain the islands, rodents, and other creatures. That makes total sense, right? But there's also folklore on the island that still exists today. The folklore is the individual who was bit was actually a god. And he had the power to remove venom from the creatures that were, you know, in this particular, snakes. And so he made it so all snakes have no more venom. Either way, there's four vipers on the island today. And any one of you guys can be bit by one if you want to try that when you're over there. And you won't die from that, nor will the natives think you will die from that. I just think it's so interesting how Paul's having such an effect. But what it did show Paul was the superstitious level that they had, right? When they said... Um, the sea, the justice would not allow him. Now, when we hear justice, maybe you're not thinking about it, but justice is actually lady justice. And lady justice is actually a deity, right? Lady justice is the same one that you see today that holds the, uh, the two fulcrum points for the weighing of the scale, right? And so that's what they were saying. When justice did not allow him to live. They were actually referring to a deity, saying, see, the sea missed out on this opportunity, but the land will take care of it. And so what it does is it gives Paul a bunch of insight to what he's dealing with. This is a very superstitious island that has no idea. And then don't you just love the flip-flopping? He's a murderer, and, and the seas didn't get him, but the land will get him. No, he's a god, and he can, he remo- I mean, isn't that just the nature of people, how you can go from like hero to zero in just no, no amount of time? I mean, when, you're, when all you have is superstition to fall on, you know, the ebb and flow of that is, they were going all over the place. I put in my notes, um, Paul's not thrown off by that. He's simply adjusting to that, realizing what his crowd, what his audience is, and saying, okay, here's the situation, guys. I'm going to show you in a second what it's all about, but don't worry about it. I'm fine, snake, moving on. In verse 7, what happens? What happens is there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island, and he welcomed us into his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. Now his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. So Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, he placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They were honored in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with all the supplies that we needed. Now here's an interesting little note there. Um, Paul, unusual favor, right? I told you Paul has unusual favor. Isn't it interesting, too, that Paul unusually has this opportunity by God every single time to meet the key person? Like the person that has the greatest influence, Paul, who's showing great humility, uh, as you know, as a Pharisee, humility was not part of the picture. But in this particular capacity, as Paul is kind of moving through the, I'm just going to be serving God, he's always humble. He's just gathering sticks like everyone else. He's not saying, hey, I'm the one that saved the ship. I figured out what to do. He's just doing like everyone else. And God continues to lift him up. And God continues to drive the person that needs to see Paul to him. And it's not just any person. It's a small island. It's the key person from the island. It's someone who has an estate. A chief official is someone who has an estate on the island because he invites them all in. And then I love this other little nuance. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Well, you know who's writing the book, right? Dr. Luke. And because Dr. Luke was taking all those notes back on the ship, I mean, I have a medical doctor. I have a, you know, Robin has a daughter that's a nurse. We have some nurses here. I'm telling you what. I guarantee you Dr. Luke was diagnosing right away, right? He knew right away. This guy wasn't just sick. He could tell by his bedding and some of the different things going on what he was actually sick with. So you get kind of like this diagnosis behind the scene, right? If you or I would have seen dysentery, if if any of you want to go home and look up dysentery, I don't think it's an appropriate thing to speak about on a Sunday, but if any of you want to go home and look it up, this is what we would have said. That dude's sick. Let's go. Because it's the kind of sickness that you see it, and you, it's like leprosy. And your thought is just go the other way. And after Luke diagnosed it, Paul's like, no problem. I got this. He goes straight in. And what does he do? He lays hands on him. Right? He's already been snake bitten, and he survived that. Well, that was part of the mark of an apostle. Right? If you don't know what the gifts of an apostle are, you may want to look them up. Because that was one of the marks of the apostle is that he would survive a snake bite. And so for him, miraculous healing is also part of this apostleship. And so he sees this individual and realizes how sick he is. He's not afraid of what he has. Nor is he afraid of actually contacting that and getting that. He simply goes in because he knows that's part of what he does. And I made this in my notes. I said, 
the reality was it wasn't just Malta that needed Paul. It was Publius. He's a key person. He's, he has key influence. And I'm sure he loved his dad. He had him in his house. He was looking at him every day. Some of you might be taking care of your elderly parents and seeing them sick and seeing that you can imagine the strain that would be in your relationship. And then all of a sudden this guy gets shipwrecked on your thing and you're making a fire for him and he gets boom, he gets snake bitten. And then there's all this confusion about what he is. And this guy maintains like the status quo of what he does. And then he's diagnosed and then he runs in there and then he lays hands on him and prays him and cures him. I'm sure Publius was just, his, his mind was just like, oh my gosh, maybe this is what we've been missing out on. All of a sudden the Bible, the passage says, and then the rest of the island comes. I can't help but think about Dodger Stadium right now and how they've set it up. Like they set it up to do COVID testing, you know, and it's like these long lines of cars come through. And I can't help but Paul setting up this estate to be like, okay, here they come, you know, and they're just coming one after another. Three months, it says, goes from three days to three months. That's a lot of healing. That's a lot of people that were suffering. I mean, on an island, there's not necessarily a lot of resort, a lot of opportunities to get sick. And does Paul care about any of that? He said, no. Because Malta needed it. Because Dr. Luke had diagnosed it. And because Paul was an apostle and said, you know what? This is part of how I can show them God's favor for them. And as a result of all this healing, as a result of what I call this, uh, if you guys saw the slide this week, faith from the fire, right? Like as they're starting this fire, their initial form of faith changes. From being superstitious to now they have a connection. Paul has identified the God that he serves as being true and alive. And faith comes to Malta. And it is said that the entire group, Publius and the entire group that Paul healed, then form right there in St. Paul's Bay. Remember, it wasn't called St. Paul's Bay there, but right there in that part of the island, they form the first church of Malta. And how much does that affect the history of the church? I told you last week there's some pretty interesting facts about Malta that I wanted to share with you. One of them is it has one of the highest ratings of belief of all the 200 Mediterranean islands, 92 to 98% belief based in the islands still today. And St. Paul's Bay, that area that that in the situation happened, is now the most densely populated area on the bay. It's interesting, too, because once I realized there's over 200 islands in the Mediterranean, but less than 10% of them are actually visited, tourist goes to, or people return to. And Malta is one of those highly returned to places because it has historical remnants all over it. Um, UDESCO has three or four sites actually on the island. And I know some of you have means and the opportunity, and I would really encourage someone to go. I would love to get some feedback on it. Because if Publius invited that many people back to his thing, I would have to imagine there's some kind of residence or something else. I know there's chapels and all kinds of other things attributed to Paul all over the island. I can't help but think of that. Paul was so blessed and so encouraged that the results of starting this church, the results of healing Publius's dad, is that now they get to do what? He gets to go to Rome still. He's still going to go to jail. Perfectly fine. They landed on the island with nothing and now all of a sudden, as they realize the weather's clearing, they need to get out of there. Another Alexandrian ship has also got away from the storm and is weathering in that harbor. And as they move towards the harbor to get on the ship to move away from the island, what do the islanders do? What do they show him? Unusual kindness. And they give him all the provisions that he needs to make the rest of the voyage. Now, he's completely south of Italy. Um, if you look on a map where he is, and he's going to be going straight up the coast, and I'm only going to condense a couple of verses here, but from 11 through 16, he travels up the coast, and then about halfway to where they're going, they stop in Putoli. Uh, I'm sure that's not the Italian name for it, but that's my Americanized version of it. Um, and when they stop there, and they go actually to the actual town, an interesting fact occurs. Christianity, the way, the sect, has actually moved all the way through the countries. And it's actually moved all the way into Rome. And when Roman Christians find out that Paul is now 40 miles south of them, they actually travel on the Via Appia, which is this known highway there, three, tra three taverns and other known places. They all start traveling to Putioli. That sounds more Italian. That sounds better. To go see Paul. He's only there for a week. But they hear about it and they make the journey to go see him. And that brings me to my second B. 
be encouraged. Man, if you talk about the power of encouragement sometimes, I mean, in the world that we're living in right now, a face-to-face with someone can be so encouraging. I mean, a phone call is better than nothing, but people need encouragement, and Paul needed encouragement. It wasn't that he wasn't happy or wasn't sad. It's just doing the work of God is a difficult task, and to realize that these, these brothers and sisters were all coming to come in to encourage him was going to be something that literally kind of stirs up his DNA and reminds him that whatever he does, whenever he does it, that that is a blessing that he wants to be part of his ministry as a continuum, is to be encouraging. I know these last three weeks for me, some of you guys have literally gone out of your way to call, email, text. I mean, when Merv Gravy writes you a handwritten card and is, you know, Paul, you know, see my own text Galatians writing, and, and he says, I just want to thank you for preaching and, and thank you for being at the church. Encouragement is one of those things where long after you say the kindness or share the kindness or show the kindness, long after that, it keeps on giving. And Paul needed that encouragement. And I want to encourage you guys to keep giving. Because the reality is, as soon as he leaves there and he heads on into Rome, the first thing that happens is he goes into house arrest. He's already been arrested the whole time. And now he finally lands in Rome and he's in house arrest. And it says that he has a guard with him at all times, chained to him. I couldn't help but think, was that Julius? Wouldn't it be cool if it was Julius, the same guard that had been with him the whole journey out to make sure he gets there? Because he still has to present him to Caesar. However it is, whatever it is, one thing is for sure. Paul writes about it later on, that being chained to a guard, guess what that created? Another opportunity. He's such an opportunistic believer. He's like, you know what, whatever happens, whenever it happens, just roll with it. Go with it. See that God is working in it. And believe it or not, this is where we're going. This is our next book study. So in case you didn't realize that Paul was the author of these stories, Philippians. Listen, I'm just going to read one quick snippet from Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is what happened to me. Actually, what actually happened to me to serve the gospel. As a result, it has become clear to me that the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains with for Christ... And because of my chains, most of the brethren and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He took that person who was chained to him all day long and said, hey, can I talk to you? (laughs) What are my options, right? Yeah, go ahead. Let's kill some time. And Paul used that as an opportunity every day to realize, you know what? This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And this is the guy that the Lord has sent my way today. And so today I'm going to give this guy everything that the Lord has given me. And as a result of it, the entire praetorium guard, all the people that are guarding him, one after another after another are going back. And what do they do? Like the Roman centurion that came to Paul on the road and said, if you just say it, I know it'll be so. What happens? Then we hear he went back to his household, and what happens? His whole household becomes saved. I mean, Paul is effectively ministering to an entire new group of Romans, and God is using it all by being chained up to him. So Paul says, look, I appreciate you, God, for letting me do what you do. And now in verses 17 through 19, he's trying to figure out how to use this house arrest to even more of his avail. So he calls together all the Jewish leaders that are there in town. And he decides to walk them through one final thought. So this is the last kind of run of of verses here. This is uh, starting in verse 20. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain, right? It starts with the Jew. Paul's ministry and uh, Peter's ministry started with the Jew. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people have come from there, has reported or said anything about you. But we want to hear your views, for we know that people everywhere are talking about the sect, right? The word of God has now made it to Rome, and now it's really starting to move through it all. And 23, So they arranged to meet with Paul on a certain day, and then an even larger number came to the place that he was staying. So where he's under house arrest, an even larger group came there. He witnessed them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, from the law of Moses, from the law of prophets, and he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but when's the last time you tried to persuade someone from morning till evening? Right? That's a pretty serious commitment. 
I think for most of us, if we share for about five minutes with someone and we don't get any response, we're like, ah, you know, jettison, you know, move on, see what else is out there. I have some people in my life that I've been witnessing to for years. But I love what Paul does here. It's like, hey, I have a captive audience for, uh, from morning till the evening, and I'm just going to witness to them. I mean, he witnessed to the king. Why wouldn't he witness to all these other brothers and sisters he gathered against? And they replied, what did they reply? They said, uh, I lost my point here. I tried to say them. So some were convinced, but others would not believe. And then they had a disagreement amongst themselves. And then they just began to leave. And Paul made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to you and to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet. Now he's going to uh, speak to them Old Testament stuff. So they would have been very familiar with this. Go to the people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For the people's heart had become calloused and they could hardly hear with their ears. And they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might have seen with their eyes and hear with their ears to understand with their hearts and turn. And I would have healed them. And then you got the word therefore, which is whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you always want to ask what it's there for. And it's to summarize that entire passage and say, so therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. So Paul is moving from a ministry that was focused exclusively on starting with the Jews and then ministering to Gentiles as they've made themselves known to a ministry that's now going to be focused on the Gentiles. Which brings me to my third B. Be aware. Be very aware. The more you hear the word of God and don't respond to it, something's happening. And what's happening is, if you don't know any musicians, I encourage you to find one, especially one who plays guitar or bass. A guitar player and a bass player, the longer they play that instrument, something happens to their fingertips. They develop these calloused pads on them. And the longer they play, the more these pads literally have no feeling. And when they play the instrument, the pads literally have the shape of the string, and it doesn't move after they're done. And if you get a chance to touch one of their fingers, it feels kind of weird and gross because it doesn't feel like your skin anymore. It feels like rock-hard heel. It feels more like heel skin. Right? And I have to, I'm so visual. I know my wife's so visual. I have to think about something. I tried to play guitar. I took guitar lessons for six weeks. And all I did was cry. I remember being a young person. I wanted to play so bad. I wanted to sing and lead worship and do all that. But I could never develop the calluses. And, he, and the lady would say, well, just put um, super glue on your fingers. That's like the poor man's callus. Right? Put super glue on your fingers and try to do it. And it kind of worked. But then when it fell off for the rest of practices, I had to push on the strings. It was too painful for me. They understand, musicians understand firsthand, but I need that metaphor to tell you something. That's what the Bible says happen every time you hear the word of God and you don't respond. I heard the word of God and I don't respond. I know that God's speaking to me and I don't respond. You're callousing your heart. You're callousing your, your ears. So you can hear, but you will never understand. And you might even see God move, but you'll never perceive that that in fact was God. So that is a huge warning for us to realize we need to be able to share with people, but realize that it's going to be on them. The truth about um, salvation is this. Our responsibility is to share. Their responsibility is to invite God in. We don't, we don't get to save anyone. And if someone, like the king, remember when the king said, you, you think you can, how, how dare you think you make me a convert now? And Paul says, whether now or in the, later, I don't care. I only care that you do make that decision. And that's what we need to do. Be aware. If they don't listen, that's not on you. Your job is to lovingly share and show the faith of God that is in you. All right, we'll finish it up here. Two more verses, and we're all done. It's about 62 AD. Paul's there in jail. It says, For two whole years, Paul stayed with them in his own rented house and welcomed all who came in to see him. In this house jail for two years, Paul invites all the people that he can around him. So he's ministering, 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 ministering. And what does he do in his downtime? Well, remember, when he was back in Puteoli, those people came and encouraged him, right? So what all Paul does is he realizes sometimes there weren't people there visiting with him, and he had some downtime, so he starts writing what's known as the prison epistles, right? Epistle is a letter. And so he starts addressing letters to Ephesians, the church in Ephesians, Philemon, Colossians, and Philippians. That's where we're going, by the way. The next book that we're actually going to be studying is Philippians. And I think it's so cool because now you can actually see the tie-in to when that was written. These are the last, uh, you know, this is kind of some of the last stuff that Paul will be doing. He's under house arrest. 
and yet he's still finding that God has given him an opportunity to speak, and he can recall all these different things that he has been through, and he's like, I'm not going to let that go to waste. I'm going to write that down, and I'm going to be an encouragement to other people like people have been to me. And what will he do? He'll continue to share the hope and peace and faith that is Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection will be written on all of those. And ultimately it says this, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without any hindrance. I don't know about you, but it feels like there's nothing but hindrances around me today. It seems like it's more difficult now to just be bold about your faith than ever before. But you know what? Paul was facing people that at any given time, Felix, Festus, King Agrippa, even ultimately with Caesar, could take his life. And ultimately, they would take his life. He would die for his faith. But it never, ever fazed him. And I think that's something we have to think about. We need to live, we need to live boldly. We need to trust that God has something to say to us that, that he's going to say to other people. I mean, when he writes to Timothy, Timothy, you know, you can see Paul's writing to Timothy. He's saying, preach the word of God in season and out. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. You guys have all heard that verse, right? 2 Timothy 4. But now you know where that came from. Right? That's what he had to go through. He had to preach the word in all seasons. He had to encourage regardless of the situation. He had to realize that the word of God gave him the ability to, to encourage people. And so I went back to Timothy for some of Paul's final words. Second Timothy, by the way, is the last writings of Paul. And so Second Timothy 4, 6, I thought this just summarized so beautifully what Paul ultimately came to be known for. Second Timothy 4, 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, the crown of righteousness is laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who crave his appearing. Isn't that cool just to think about, like, if, if, if someone could write down the last words you were thinking about and capture those and write those down, that Paul wanted you to know something, that through it all, and I mean, you, we just sampled just four chapters of Acts, through it all, he never lost that earnest desire to just every day consider it a blessing to serve God. He never forgot about the road to Damascus and the fact that he had a conversion with the risen Lord, right? Because to be an apostle, you have to, apostle means one who is what? Seeing Christ. Have you ever realized that? I mean, the only apostles are the ones that were with him. But Paul, asked, he considers himself an apostle. That road to Damascus conversion was so strong that he believes he had an encounter with the risen Lord. And obviously by the miracles that he performed, I would say it substantiates him being an apostle 100%. But he never ever lost that desire to say thank you to the Lord every day. If I can die today serving you, then so be it. If there's an opportunity in the midst of this adversity to show your goodness, then so be it. But I'm not going to be thrown off by anything that comes my way. I pray that you today would just realize as we kind of come to conclude this whole Acts thing is just realize you can go back over this chapter anytime you want. You can go back over and watch these videos anytime you want. But we are not going through anything new, church. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what the scripture tells us. I love the passage that says, but for such a time as this, right? The blind person at the pool. What did he do? What did his family do? Who was the one that caused the sin? And Jesus said, no, nah, none of that's true, guys. No generational sin. It's just sin. But let me tell you something. But for, the day, for such a day, for today, for the day, so you can see the power of the risen Lord. And that puts me to my final one, is be prepared. Be prepared, guys. Be prepared to never stop running the race. If Paul said it's a race, then it's a race. The problem is it's a long-term run. It's a long run. And, and some of us approach it like we just sprint after things. Like some of us, when we first come to the Lord, we sprint after it, and then we get really tired, and then we walk away from our faith. And then 10 years later, 15 years, we walk back into the race, and we're like, I'm back in the race again. Pace yourself. Run every day as though this is the only day that you have. Pace yourself to make through the day. Start the morning with prayer. Pray in the afternoon. Pray in the evening. Pray as you're walking around. Why? Because the Bible says pray without ceasing. Remind yourself where your strength and your energy comes from, from the Lord. Because of why? Because of the hope that is the resurrection. We're not fighting out there blindly. We're not, tr we're not trying to live blindly. And part of the reason Paul was not afraid of death is because he knew the hope of the resurrection was to die is to gain. Paul showed that if there's any storms in your life, just stay calm in them. Stay focused. Pay attention to what's going on around you. You may be surprised how God actually puts you in charge from captive to captain. Because there's faith in the fire, the very fire that's burning. The Bible talks about one day everything will be tried by what? 
fire. And everything that's not of God will be burned off. The dross will all be burned off. But those things that are pure will be revealed in that. So there's always been faith in the fire. Don't be afraid of the fire. It's going to purge everything out. And then finally, remember this. If we're ready and we're running the race, that no matter where we are in the place, remember some people swam in, some people floated in, right? Get to the finish line. Just keep going and get to the finish line because you have this one promise. The Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you and that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He's waiting for us at the finish line. So our job is just to run every day in such a way that shows gratitude for the opportunity to serve. People are watching right now, not just our neighbors, not just your coworkers, your family members. People are watching right now, maybe now more than ever. And I really do pray and hope that you're using that opportunity as Paul did to show how good God actually is. Even in the midst of all this, God is so good. His love endures forever. Let me invite the band back up and let me pray. And thank you guys for walking through Acts with me. Father God, I just can't help but feel inspired by who Paul was. The fact that his life could be known as this infamous person, that he started off as someone so opposed to everything godly. And yet he didn't let that be his marker. He didn't let that be what the world remembered him by. He said, I'm going to consider every day an opportunity to serve God. I'm going to consider this need to be ready in season at all times a high priority for me. And I'm going to remember that there's a kind of service that we can do and show that allows me to have that clear conscience before my father and before man that just that makes Paul the kind of person that walks into the fire. Oh, this person's sick and then they have a need? Fine, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to address that sickness. Oh, there's an island full of people that have sickness? Bring them to me. May the power of the risen Lord be shown mightily in this place. Why? Because Malta needs a savior. And wherever Paul went, whatever he did along the way, he made sure that everyone realized that they needed a savior too. And it's so exciting to know that the word of God was actually spreading in front of him. It was like, a, it was like, a, like an energy wave that was just kind of moving already in front of him. The spirit of the Lord was already moving out in front of him. And, and, and there was already great things happening in Rome. I can't help but think about the guards and all these other military people, Father, that were chained to him. And what that would have been like to have Paul chained to you for a day. Father, thank you for the opportunity to rearrange our perspective on things. Thank you for the opportunity to see things anew. And may you help us realize that, yes, there are storms out there and there are trials out there. But if we can just see them as Paul saw them, we would realize they all represent an opportunity to see the hand of the risen Lord in all things.
of ages and if you want to stand that would be awesome you guys we've had a wonderful morning this morning and there's no other rock than Jesus Christ we're so grateful bad for an angel fan. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. It was really great spending time with you guys. If you have any questions, if you need to call, please call the church on Monday. We'll get back to you. If there's a decision about faith that you need to make, just uh, send us a, an information. We'll join in with you. Pastor at Lighthouse Community. 
Um, do, do whatever you can to stay in contact. We're trying to stay in contact with you. We don't want to lose contact. Trust me, we're really close to getting a chance to see all of you on a regular basis, all of you. So until then, may God bless, and we'll see you soon. Have a wonderful day. Beautiful.